morning, everybody. Was it a long night? It was a long night, right? You know, the, the hurricanes the hurricanes wrapped it up before midnight, um, and they did it. Uh, they did it, yeah. <laughs> amen. We have an amen. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I confessed, and I don't, I don't know if that was the wisest thing for me to do that. I, I found the, the trunk or treat candy in the closet uh, last night, and I binged on a few little mini Snickers bars. They're so little, they can't really count against you, right? So... Um, this morning I woke up with a woeful stomachache like I was like three years old. And uh, anyway, so anyway, maybe that's what happened to you, right? Did you binge last night on some Snickers bars? Is that what happened? We'll give it another shot, ready? I don't like doing this, but you know, we have to make sure we're here, right? Good morning, everybody. Oh, so much better. You are all better. We are all better. We are ready to move on. Um, I, I asked uh, at the beginning of the service last time um, or this morning, that um, this is uh, is pastoral care week, spiritual care week, that many places across um, the country are observing it, and uh, we just want to take a stop, take a moment to stop and to to thank uh, our pastoral care team here at the Brook, uh, including Pastors Mucci and Pastor Gio and Pastor Debin and Pastor Chip. Have I missed anybody? But please, 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 would you join me in a round of applause for those who are serving us as our pastors here at the Brook. A very, <laughs> good, excellent, a very, 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 very big thank you for all that you do and knowing that... Um, a lot of it is done, uh, a lot of it is done, you know, just kind of just as a regular, ordinary sort of a thing. But it really is uh, what you do, extraordinary work. And we know that uh, it involves a, a lot of time and, and spiritual energy and so forth. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And I think it would be great if we could just pray for our, our pastoral care team here, our, pastor, our, our pastoral team here at the Brook, so that uh, and they would know that uh, we are behind them. Just join me in a word of prayer for them. Lord, I thank you so much for those you've called to lead the brook. And thank you for their commitment to you above all. Thank you for their commitment to the families and the people here at the church. Uh, thank you for their just, just their, their willingness and their energy to get the job done. Thank you for that. Thank you for the, the hours they spend in prayer. And thank you for the moments that... Uh, uh, they may be taken away from their families to, to, do, to do the work of, of the ministry. So I pray your blessing on them today. And I pray your, pray your blessing on their families that they would, that they would truly, truly, truly know that you, they are loved and appreciated by all of us here uh, as members and congregants of this church. We pray these things in, in the name of the great shepherd, the, the one who is the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord and Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. Alrighty, well, our sermon today is taken from the Gospel of Mark, and we are continuing the theme that we started last week, the theme of faith. And because we're talking about this notion of, we're talking about this notion of, of what it means to wake up on Monday morning, and like this, this, the stuff we learned about on Sunday, does it work on Monday? Those are big, big questions that we really need to ask ourselves as we continue on. And the argument, of course, is that, yeah, it does make a big difference. But the truth of the matter is, is that it doesn't often make a difference enough for us. That somehow, I don't know what it is, if it's just Western civilization or it's our, our, it's our current, uh, our current uh, 
culture that we live in that separates kind of religious stuff from non-religious stuff that encourages us to make that divide that you know a couple of days a week or maybe a couple hours a week are de devoted to spiritual things and then maybe a couple of uh, you know the rest of the week are devoted to my like quote real life and that's just not what we read last week with pastor Mucci's sermon on Hebrews chapter 11, what we found out was, right, what we found out was is that faith is something that isn't walled into just the four corners of our spiritual heart, but faith makes a difference where we are. Just review in your head the sermon from last week, or if you're familiar with Hebrews 11, all of the different characters that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, and know that, that their faith actually worked. Their faith worked. It made a difference. Whether God called them to speak a word to a king or a, a prophetic utterance or God called them to leave and do something. God called Abraham to offer his son Isaac. All of those different things that the people in Hebrews 11 did shows that faith is important and makes a difference in our everyday life. Now, I think sometimes when we read Hebrews 11 over, we say to ourselves, well, I'm not a hero of the faith and I don't consider myself a hero of the faith. And so maybe the passage doesn't really... Um, you know, maybe that applies to the pastors. Maybe it applies to them, but it doesn't really apply to me. But reread the list. Reread that list. Faith, if you say that you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, then it should be making all the difference in the world. Hebrews 11 is about ordinary people who had extraordinary faith. And God used them in mighty ways to accomplish great things in this world. And faith is not simply something which we keep inside of us. Faith changes everything about our life. Those are really important points as we get going. And then, of course, my goal today is to just kind of look through, take a couple of snapshots from the gospel according to Mark, and to, make, and to take notice of the fact that faith really is about our relationship to Jesus. I don't know if we can stress that enough and as I'm rethinking you know, the sermon and as it goes through my head and I'm processing it. To me, what's super important out of all of this is that in we're talking about faith and the difference that it makes for us on a Monday morning or a Tuesday afternoon or a Saturday night or whatever time of the week we're talking about it, is that our eyes are always fixed on Jesus. That faith is in Jesus. It's not in some man-made system. It's not in some man-made thing. It, it's, not in, in hum, it's not a faith in humanity. It is a faith in Jesus. And so where to go to find out about Jesus? We have all kinds of sources that want to tell us things about Jesus, but we really, you know, for those of us who are gathered in this community called the Brook, what we say is that we go to the Bible. Uh, we want to go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about Jesus. And that is why my attention today is devoted to the book of Mark. Now, my goal today is not to cover every verse of the Gospel of Mark because that would be impossible. There's not enough hours in the day to do that. But my goal is to take a few snapshots of the Gospel of Mark today and just simply see how faith works in this book, how it is related to Jesus and who he is and his disciples and how they follow him. And maybe during the course of the sermon, you can place yourself in one of those pictures and say, yeah, I see myself here. Or I see myself here. Or I've said those things before. Yeah, that's me there. Or something like that. And in order to get our picture of how faith works. I also shared at the beginning of the sermon last time. And I, of, you know, just kind of being stuck in middle age for the next few years. Uh, hopefully, I say to myself, you know, I don't. I'm not a technology expert. I'm just, I'm just not. I, I know enough to work my iPhone 
and to answer calls and so forth. But I don't know all of the things that it can do. You know, I have a, I have a, you know, a computer. You know, I have cars that has, I have a car that has little gadgets on it, and I don't know how to work uh, most of them. And then I look at the YouTube videos of how to work the things, and I just get more confused. Now, and you know, I, you may not be in the stage of life where you count on your kids to teach you about how technology works, but I'm in that stage right now. And and frankly, you know, if, if Sophia were here, you could, uh, or Emily, you could tell, you could tell them or ask them, you know, does he? How often does he text you, your dad? Does he text you about like what's the password to this or how does that thing work at home? You know, the Alexa or uh, Siri or whatever other thing is monitoring every second of my life. And so here's, here's, here's the application, here's the application. We, I found out the other day, or found out last year, we got this car, and this car has, this car has radar cruise control. I mean, I mean, I'm old school, I know what a old cruise control does. I mean, I don't often use it, especially in Miami, because the traffic is so crazy. But, um, you know, when you're on a long trip, you're heading out of state, you're going across the country, you put on the cruise control in your car, it's great. Well, this particular car had radar cruise. I had no idea, my daughters found out about it. And what happens, what happens on radar cruise is that you're driving along, say on the interstate, and you're heading somewhere, and if you have radar cruise on, it senses that the car in front of you is going slower, and so it slows your car down. Old school, right? Old school, you're, go, you know, you're in traffic, you slam on the brake, right? So the cruise control doesn't hit the car in front of you. But radar cruise solved all that. I had no idea the car did that. Isn't that amazing, right? And then one of the, the application is this, is that some of us think about faith in terms of faith is how I get to heaven. It's the ABCs of salvation. I know I'm a Christian because I have faith in Jesus, you know, those kinds of things. And that's great, and that's essential, and it's foundational. But I'm, if you read the Gospels closely, if you read the New Testament closely, what you're going to find out is, is that faith has a lot more dimensions to it than you ever can imagine. And there's a depth to it and a nuance to faith and a kind of sort of a, a perspective on faith that faith is a lot more usable than you think it is. Now, I am not going to spend the rest of my life trying to figure out the iPhone or, or this computer or this gadget. I don't. I don't have enough time left to, to, to figure it all out. But I do in whatever time I have left. I want to make sure that my, I know how faith works. I know what God is wanting for me, and I want to know how to respond to the Lord. I want to know how to take faith and use it in the everyday circumstances of my life to make it usable. Now, that calls us to the gospel according to Mark. And uh, my first text is found in Mark chapter 2. And I want to just read over the text. And these are passages that you have heard before. I'm just going to kind of pull out the word faith and see how it applies to us today. Um, in, in chapter 2 of uh, Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, and it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room in the house, not even at the door. There was not, not even standing room. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came. They, we don't know who they are. They, they came. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not uh, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Son, your sins are forgiven." 
you read the story over, and, and after Jesus announces that his sins are forgiven, he says in verse 9, what is easier to say, because people are questioning his ability to forgive sins, what is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? And so he did say in verse 10, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose, this paralytic rose, and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is an interesting story. We can spend the rest of our morning here on this, on this particular paragraph, on this particular account. But I just want to call your attention to a phrase that's used in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. I think one of the great errors of our day is that faith is something that to be compartmentalized in our heart. And that no one is ever to know about our faith. And no one's ever to, to know that we're a person of faith. Um, they might know that we're a good person or something because we have moral standards or whatnot. But, you know, we're not going to talk about our faith at all. And faith is just kind of walled and closeted off in life. And we're not, certainly not going to make it, even if we're not allowed to talk about our faith, like where we work or something. We are definitely just going to closet it off. And it's not going to make much of a difference in our lives. We've experienced that in our current branding of Christianity, that there's a Christianity on Sunday, how we dress, how we behave, and so forth. And on Monday, like Monday morning comes, that faith doesn't seem to make much difference at all. And what this Bible is, what our Bible is saying to us in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, is that Jesus has his eyes on our faith. He has his eyes on our faith. You know, I know sometimes we, you know, around people we try to have, you know, show that we have faith. And, you know, around Christian people, you know, I want you to know I'm a person of faith and, and so forth. Um, sometimes we put on that, those kinds of airs, or maybe they're not airs, it's just kind of our heart's desire. But the truth of the matter is, is, is that Jesus is watching our faith. Because our faith is in Jesus. And so Jesus is really concerned. Jesus is not a third party to our faith. Jesus is the heart and the center of our faith. And if you're playing a game between, hey, everybody, I'm a great person of faith, look at me. And in your heart, you're not really communicating with God anymore. And you're kind of not in the faith as much as you used to be. The idea is, the idea is, is that Jesus is aware of that. And the faith of these four men Carrying this person who was unable to walk, their faith was noticeable. When you read Hebrews 11 over, the chapter we read last week, the faith of all of those individuals was noticeable. When you read the passage, James, that we read this morning in James chapter 2, we read, we find out that faith is absolutely noticeable. It makes a difference in who we are and what we do. Now, I don't know if you see yourself in this snapshot of faith. I don't know if you do. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine digging through a roof, right, to get someone to see Jesus. That's kind of, it's, you know, and I know the roofs were there, you know, 2,000 years ago in Israel were different than, than our roofs today. But the idea is, the idea is, is that this is inviting us to have a faith that breaks through the roof. This is inviting us to have a faith that breaks through the roof. I found a quote in a commentary that I thought was super interesting. Usually quotes are, from commentaries are, are a little dry, a little dusty, a little academic, and, and really not to, be, you know, not to be shared in a setting like this. But I read this and I thought, I want to share it with you all. James Edwards, a, a scholar uh, and a commentator on the Gospel of Mark, writes this. The first mention of faith in Mark, significant in 2.5, Jesus saw their faith. 
significantly links it with acting, behaving, doing, rather than with knowing or feeling. We know nothing of the beliefs of the four friends of this paralytic except that they take action. And as, and as common as this, faith is first and foremost our knowledge about Jesus. It is not our knowledge about Jesus, not knowledge about Jesus, but active trust that Jesus is sufficient for one's deepest and most heartfelt needs. They knew Jesus was the answer, and it was important to get their friend to Jesus. They didn't know exactly what he was going to do, but they knew that Jesus was the right person to be in contact with. Sometimes we just say faith is a set of beliefs that we have. It's a doctrinal statement. And faith, I mean, there's some content to that, and that's good. But faith in the Gospels is portrayed as these men picking up their friend and carrying them to Jesus. Faith in action. Faith for Monday morning. Faith that makes a difference. Turn the page in your Bible from Mark chapter 2 to Mark chapter 4, and you'll notice, you'll notice a story that is just a really an appealing story to a lot of us. Mark chapter 2 is faith that breaks through the roof. Mark chapter 4 is faith in the storm. Um, there's so many different stories here, but we're just going to concentrate on the end of the chapter, starting at verse 35. And I'm sure that you have heard more than your share of messages on this during the course of your Christian walk, but I just want to share it with you again, if you don't mind. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a great windstorm, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. You get the sense that the boat was, was, was filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and sea. He said, Peace! Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. I'm really... what drove me to this sermon and to this concept of just these snapshots of faith isn't necessarily because of the actions of the disciples here or the actions of the four men, which I think are significant. But really what Jesus has to say or what Jesus does. So in Mark chapter 2, it says, Mark writes down, Jesus saw their faith. Here in Mark chapter 4, we have actual quote from Jesus. And he says, why are you still afraid? Have you still no faith? You don't have faith yet? And it occurred to me that we often find ourselves, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, in a boat. And I think I have a picture, and I want to share it with you. I'm going to walk over here because there's less buzzing on this side. I like you guys, but there's a little buzzing over there. It scares me. I'm going to put up the pic. We have the picture, right? I'm sure we do. We had it this morning. <laughs> ah, there we go. All right. Uh, ignore the numbers. Ah, there we go. Perfect. This is, this is Rembrandt's painting of Jesus on the sea. And if you guys have watched Netflix, you may have watched a special that th called This is a Robbery and, or something along those lines that came out, I think, last year about the story that this was a painting that was hanging in a museum in Boston and it was stolen 
1990, of all things, and the painting has never been found. If you watch this special, you kind of find out all kinds of things about the mafia and whatnot and what, how they use paintings and so forth. But I, I love this painting. I love it. I have it in my office at work. I don't have the one that was stolen. I have, I have a print that my wife got for me for my, uh, for my birthday a few years ago. And I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure about this. I, I don't speak with, I'm not an art critic, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Rembrandt painted himself in the picture down here. I think that people have said that. That's Rembrandt. He paints himself in the picture. You notice kind of sort of classical uh, European Jesus here uh, and so forth. And hopefully that's, Okay, for this, for the painting's sake. And then uh, they paint me. I'm in this picture. I'm the guy uh, hurling over the side of the boat. The guy's throwing up. That's me. That's me. That's what I'm going to be doing. I'm on, a, I'm on any kind of boat anywhere. I throw up. My family wants to go on a cruise? No, sorry. Before COVID. No, sorry. I'm going to throw up. You want to ride on the boat? No, no. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> That's me. And I can't imagine what my stomach would be doing in this situation, in this setting, in this storm. Do you ever find yourself to be in a storm? Do you ever find yourself to be in a storm? It doesn't have to be on a boat. It could be, it, it doesn't have to be a literal storm. It could be a figurative storm, a metaphorical storm. Do you ever feel like you have lost all of your ability to cope with the stress of the, of the life that you are living and the situations in which you find yourself? This, this painting and is kind of a vivid snapshot of what the, the disciples were going through. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but once I don't ride a planes a lot, but but you know planes are a little bit troubling in general, right? And you're in a plane and you and you're on turbulent. You have turbulence. Ever been in a plane with turbulence and it's just kind of bouncing, right? It's kind of bouncing, and then all of a sudden the light you hear beeps go off, and then you hear the pilot say something to the effect, uh, 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 "Good afternoon, passengers. We're flying across the storm of great turbulence, and we're going to you know go up another a few thousand feet or down another few thousand feet." Crust everyone returns to their seat and you know and uh, you know put their seatbelt on and uh, we'll get back to you uh, you know when we'll get through this thing uh, it'll be okay and then you know you have a nice day and then he signs off and so uh, the pilot speaks and you know what that does nothing for me it does nothing for me what do I do when I'm on a plane and there's turbulence I look at the flight attendants that's what I do. And if the flight attendants are going about their business, everything's fine. I know that, hey, it's going to be okay because the flight attendants, you know, they're cool. But every once in a while, I see a flight attendant who looks as scared as I feel. And I know that the prayers are going to go up extra hard at this point. That, you know what, there's turbulence. Why does that apply to this? Because a lot of these guys on the boat are fishermen. They know about the Sea of Galilee. They know there's there's storms that happen quite frequently. They know, but they're scared for their lives. And they say something to the effect, oh, don't you care? Don't you care about our situation? And I read this story over and I smile to myself and I say, eh, that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how your prayers sound. And I, I, I know my prayers. And I have to be careful sometimes that my prayers don't sound like God has called me to give him an agenda for what to do today. So I get up, dear Lord, these are the things that you have to watch out for today. 
You have to watch out for this situation with this person. You have to help me uh, figure out the, how to deal with this thing. You have to, you know, for, and any other problems, you know, Lord, I'm just calling your attention to these things because somehow in the back of my mind, I'm like the disciples and I'm saying something along the lines of, you know what, are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you asleep on the boat when my life's falling apart? What was Jesus' response to them? Well, first it was to calm the storm. He spoke a word and it was calm. It was calm, still. And the second question, his second, uh, the second thing he did was to talk to them and said, where's your faith? And what I want, I want you to hear today is that, I, you, know, I, you know, is Jesus scolding them? What kind of voice was that that he used? We don't, we don't know, but we know he's the loving Savior who cares about these guys, his disciples. We know that for sure. And he's encouraging them and he's inviting them to have faith in him. And he's, uh, you know, is he humanly frustrated with the fact that they don't, that they don't have faith in him? You, you read the text over, you make a decision yourself, but here's the deal. Here's the point. That trial you're going through, that storm you're going through right now, the one where you're secretly asking yourself, I'm not sure God knows about this one. If God knew about this one, I think he would be doing a lot more than what he's doing. Or just, you know, Lord, it's storm after storm. It's wave after wave. It's crisis after crisis. It is tiring, and I am worn out from that. I don't want to get another call. Have you been in that situation where you just stop answering the call? You stop checking the emails. You stop looking at the text because you don't want anymore. You don't, you're done, right? Maybe you've said that before. This is what Mark 4 teaches us. Jesus Christ is on the boat with us. And that changes everything. Jesus Christ is on the boat with us. And that changes everything. I'm happy when the plane has a really good, competent pilot. And I'm really good when there's skilled flight attendants who know what they're doing on the plane. But there's nothing better in life than to know that in the middle of the crisis that you're going through right at this moment, right at the second, that in the middle of that crisis, Jesus Christ is right there with you. Because his promise is what? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are his child. He is not abandoning you. Maybe humans have abandoned you. Maybe your friends have walked away from you. But Jesus will never never do that to you. He loves you. And all he asks is that we have faith in him. Religion fails us, right? Systems fail us. There's flaws. There's, there's people issues. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on in life. Jesus doesn't fail us. Jesus doesn't let us down. He is there in the boat. The commentator that I referred to earlier, uh, James Edwards, said this about this particular passage. The real threat to faith comes not from the lack of knowledge, but from doubt and fear. And I think that's interesting. You know, we need to know more. We need to have more facts. I, I dare say that a lot of us know a lot of facts about God and the Bible. We could know more, I suppose. Uh, we take courses and whatnot and read books and attend seminars and, and do all kinds of things to get our head knowledge uh, stronger. But and that, until that head knowledge translates into heart knowledge, and, and, and really what we find is that fear really takes the place of faith so often. And that brings us to chapter 5, faith in the, sh- faith in the shadow of death, Mark chapter 5. And there's a couple of stories that are told in this chapter that I just want to call your attention to, starting in Mark chapter 5, verse 21 where Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. You know, it's interesting if you, have a, if you read through the Gospels to trace Jesus going back and forth on the boat. 
a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly. And you can, you can, you can just hear it in his voice. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. But on the way, in the next several verses, he runs, uh, he runs in through the crowd, and there's this, there's this lady who grabs a hold of him, and, and, and Mark goes out of his way to explain what's happening. Verse 25, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had. But instead of getting better, she was no better. Rather, she grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. And in this story, you're probably well aware of it. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you're in a crowd. Jesus, you're in a crowd. And yet you say, who touched me? Yeah, like that doesn't seem logical to them. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And, and I want you to hear the word. This is the words of Jesus, right? This is important. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus identifies this woman as a person of great faith. And because of that great faith, Jesus was able to do a great work in her life. Go now, go in peace. Now, in the, minute, in the meantime, this, daughter's, this daughter of the ruler, Jairus, he, she, she faces a tough spot. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But over her hearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, but only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler in verse 38. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at Jesus. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. So all these, all these stories, there's a lot of amazement. There's fear sometimes, there's amazement. But here, you want to be really clear that with the healing of the woman who had the blood issue for 12 years, she was a person of faith. And then to the, to the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, in verse 36, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. So here's the issue, faith in the shadow of death. I have to say that of all the times it takes to exercise faith, okay, you're on the boat and it's jumping up and down. You're thinking, you're thinking you need a lot of faith, right? The plane with the turbulence, you're, you need some faith, right? I don't, know, I don't know if there's a greater incident of faith uh, that's needed than when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's one of those things because, because I think we may have talked about this before, but it, it seems to me that giving your loved one to the Lord in the last stages of their life is one of the most difficult things that a person can do. 
I've walked with people who've gone through these, through these things, and I, and I see the difficulty in it. I see the heartache in it. You know, the love, their loved one got sick. Maybe it, maybe it was a cancer. Maybe it was a, a disease of some kind. And they, they did every treatment that was humanly possible. They tried experimental treatments. They went to different doctors. I mean, I mean, I, I remember a story that from, from, from over 10 years ago of, of a fellow, a fellow who went around the world seeking treatment for his loved one because, because the situation was so desperate for them. And, and he had the means to do anything, to go anywhere and to do anything. And he went everywhere and he did everything. But at the end of the day, his loved one still passed away. This story in Mark 5 is not designed to teach us if, if you're sick, you don't have enough faith. If you don't get better, you don't have enough faith. There are people who teach that these days, and, and, and I don't, I, I just, I, I, it doesn't seem to mesh with the whole picture of Scripture, that kind of, that kind of story. What this story is teaching us, what this account is teaching us, what this account is inviting us to, is to trusting Jesus at the most critical times of life, including that time when we let go of our loved one who we walked with all this way through all these treatments, through all these trials, through all this stuff, and we let them to Jesus. There are sometimes miraculously, and we thank God for them, they're healed. Sometimes that does happen, but other times it, do, it doesn't happen, and they are, become in the hands of Jesus. And I see that I see that text and I see what it says. It says, taking her by the hand. Jesus takes us by the hand. He takes your loved one by the hand. He holds them. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 20, is in Psalm 23. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Fear, see? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We can walk through those horrible times, the times of loss, the times of danger, the times when we are close to the end, as this little girl was, as this, as this older lady was. We, they, we, know that, we know that they were close to death, but Jesus was with them, and we have to have faith in those times. It could be that God is calling you to faith in a most difficult time where you are walking very closely in the valley of the shadow of death. But God wants to remind you this morning. God wants you to hear the words of Scripture. God doesn't leave you. He holds your hand. He loves you. He loves your loved one, your friend, your family member, your coworker, the one who is with you. God loves you. He asks, he says, do not fear don't fear. He's, he's quoting Psalm 23, in other words. Don't, I will not fear. Don't fear. Believe. Put your faith in the loving Son of God. There's one last passage I want to look with you with, at, at you with, and it's from Mark chapter 9. Obviously, we did not get through Mark, and that wasn't the goal. The goal was to point some paint, uh, pictures out, some snapshots, and to call your attention to them, and maybe to invite you to read through Mark's gospel and circle every time you see the word faith or believe or any, anything of the sort, and then to see how that could make a difference. I mean, I'm hoping, you're, I'm hoping you're seeing yourself in one of these stories and say, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I didn't know. Faith can really help me in, in the life when, when there's an when there's issue that comes up like that. Mark chapter 9, 
It's the story of faith in a spiritual battle, and it's a super interesting story. It comes right after the transfiguration of Jesus in Mark chapter 9. We get to verse 14 of Mark chapter 9, and it says, When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the, the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him, and they greeted him, and they asked him, What are you arguing about with them, Jesus said. And someone from the crowd said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they weren't able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. It's a horrible spirit. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father a diagnostic question. He said, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It's often cast him into the fire. It's cast him into the water to destroy him. And here's, the father says this. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus, what did he do? He took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples said privately, why couldn't we do this? And he said, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and some versions add fasting. Oh my goodness. I think the different pictures that we've been looking at today our different life situations of which, you know, we're really pretty aware. You know, whether it's a, a storm in life or on a boat, on a plane, or just personal storms that we face, we get it. Whether it's a, um, whether we're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, we get it. Whether it's bringing our friends to Jesus, we get it. We understand that. Spiritual warfare is not something we think about very much uh, in this world, although it's present everywhere. I trust that nobody's ever had a situation like this ever occurred to them. And, and maybe, maybe it's not, maybe life isn't that dramatic for us, but we do are aware that Ephesians 6 tells us that we're in what they call spiritual warfare. There's things that we don't see with our eyes and perceive with, uh, perceive with our, you know, uh, you know, our other senses, but there's, there's spiritual realities out there. And, and there's, such things as, there's such things as demons, right? There's such, such a person as the devil. And those, those things are not kind of made up. It's not mythology. It's, it's real. So, so we take it pretty seriously. And it's pretty scary, to be honest with you, if you let your mind go there and say, oh, my goodness. And, and this, is, this is the point. This is the point. Jesus asks us to have faith in him for every spiritual the disciples were not in connection enough with God to cast out the demon. The disciples were not praying or fasting or have enough faith or whatever the word is to cast out the demon that was troubling this boy. 
And the point seems to be, the point seems to be that Jesus is making sure that we as his followers, in some of the most important interactions that we have, spiritually speaking, that we make sure that our focus and our heart and our eyes and our minds, spiritually speaking, are on him. Because he is the only one who is able to help us in our spiritual battles. He is the one who stands up to the evil one. He is the one who drives out the evil forces. He is the one who does that by the work of the blood of the cross, by the work of the power of the very Son of God. And he says, he says, anything is possible or all things are possible for the one who believes. And those are words which open up windows of opportunity for us to use our faith like a new toy, a new gizmo, a new app, a new, a new technology opens up a world for us in, in, in the practical areas of life. This opens up a world for us in all kinds of ways to know that if our eyes are open and our faith is in Jesus, we have no idea what can happen, but it's going to be good. It's going to be from God. It's going to be a victory for Jesus and a victory for us. If our biggest concern is our ease and our lifestyle of comfort, well, that, that's not the faith that this is talking about. This is talking about our daily battles, our daily calling, the thing that God has called you to do. And he's not called anyone else to do it. He's called you to do it. You can do it. Why? Because Jesus is with you. What battles you face? Yes, they're fierce. Jesus is with you. This morning in the first service, I, I, I hear this and I say, yeah, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you. But then I hear the dad. And I don't know if you have ever been here before. And, and this, this is maybe not the greatest response, but somehow it resonates with me. Verse 24, the father of the child cried out. Some versions read in tears. I believe, help my unbelief. I know you are God. I know you are powerful. I know you are strong. I know you can do miracles. I've seen it. I've heard about it. I know it. I've read about it now. We as Christians, we've seen it. We've read it, but we know. But I still, there's still in my heart some unbelief. I don't mean for it to be there. I don't entertain it very much, but it's still there. Help my unbelief. This may be the most honest prayer in the Bible or one of them. And it strikes me that, you know what? If we are struggling with our faith and we are struggling with what it means to be a follower of Jesus, if we are struggling with stuff in the world, it is not wrong for you to pray this simple prayer. I believe, Lord, I believe you. Please help my unbelief. Jesus was able to do great things even for this fellow, this poor daughter, uh, this, this poor son that we've read about. We know the story and we know that Jesus did great things. Jesus is calling us to faith. True faith, James Edwards writes, is always aware of how small and inadequate it is. If we interviewed the people in Hebrews 11, if we interviewed these people in Mark's gospel, not a single one of them would brag to us about what great faith they had. It was tough. It was hard. 
God helped us all through the way. I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know what, if any of these pictures fit you or your situation today, but God is calling us to a faith that moves past Sunday into Monday and Tuesday and the rest of our, our, our week. He's calling us to a faith that makes a difference, that changes our lives and that changes the life around us. I didn't mention it when we were there in Mark chapter four, but after, Mark, after Jesus calms the water, the text says the disciples were very afraid. They weren't afraid of the storm anymore. They were in awe of God's power. What would it be like in our lives, our personal lives, our community's lives, the life of our church, if we all got a glimpse because we have eyes of faith to see what great and powerful things God can do. I don't know, that sounds, it's, it's, it's exciting to think about. It's an exciting hope. Put it in God's hands and do the work that's necessary and amazing things can happen. Faith makes a difference. Let us pray. Our loving God, we, we pray with this man that sometimes we have doubt. We pray with your disciples sometimes, Lord, we wonder if you really care what's going on. We acknowledge that we live in a world that bombards us with messages that are against you. And Lord, yet you ask us to have faith. So we ask that your spirit would work in our presence and our lives. Maybe there's someone who is, had received really bad news this week. Or maybe there's someone who has never placed their faith in you at all. I pray that you would do your work and that everyone here today, within the sound of my voice, would open their eyes to Jesus, his love, who he is, what he's done, what he will do. Help us to take our next steps of life towards faith, in faith, by faith, with Jesus being the object of our faith because he loves us and cares for us. We commit these dear folks to you today and ask your blessing on all of us, we pray, in the precious and holy name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.